Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, if you've been tracking with us, we are looking um, at you're not the boss of me. And um, the big kind of question has been this, how to say no to the emotions that compete for control. And how many of you know we've looked at various emotions uh, over the last few weeks? What emotions have we looked at? A little bit of audience participation. Envy, anger, and guilt. We've looked at guilt, envy, and anger. And we've looked at these emotions. And what we've been saying over the last few weeks is that the stuff inside of us and what life does is that life kind of causes the stuff on the inside of us to come out of us, but it doesn't determine what comes out of us. What determines what comes out of us is what's already in us. And we had that big sweet jar, do you remember? And we said, no matter how many times you shake it up, there's skittles in it, so skittles are coming out of it, okay? Because what's in you comes out of you. And we look at this teaching of Jesus, and Jesus says what comes out of you is what defiles you, and that word defile is a religious word. It literally means it puts you at odds with God. And it puts you at odds with God Because when it puts you at odds with people, then that puts you at odds with God because God loves people. And out of the heart, out of the the heart where our emotions are, come come our thoughts and, and our emotions. When they become the boss of us, that causes all kinds of damage on the outside of us. And so we've looked at what does envy do, and we've looked at what does guilt do, and we've looked at what does anger do when they're the boss of you. So this week, we're going to look at this emotion, fear. How many of you have ever let fear be the boss of you? We all have. We all have. And um, many of you know that I uh, love to travel um, and travel a lot. Last year was my probably biggest travel year ever. And so I was on lots and lots of planes. And, and I love traveling. I hate flying. That might come as a shock to some of you. I hate the whole process of flying. I have a whole fear of dying from 38,000 feet, if I'm really totally honest with you. Uh, but, but, but I just hate the whole height thing and I hate the whole experience of flying, but I love traveling. And so I'll be heading out uh, a week on Friday and we'll be going to, um, to India with a team here from the church. Um, but, but I just hate that whole process of actually flying. Uh, and a few years ago, I was on a plane with Lee, the worship leader here, and we were sat at the back of a plane heading towards Singapore. And as we, as we went over the Bay of Bengal, um, now I know that statistically, turbulence doesn't bring down planes. It doesn't bring down planes. But when you are in a flight and the turbulence is wild, it doesn't matter what you know in here, something goes on in here. And we were on this flight and the turbulence was so bad and for so long, and honestly, it was, like, it was awful. The thing was, we sat at the back of the plane. Everyone else was fast asleep. Me and Lee were reading through the book of Psalms. Okay, we were writing letters to our kids that they would read in the future. We were texting our wives, one each, wife, that one, okay. Uh, yeah, just clarify that. But fear had become the boss of us. And, it's, and, and other people, they don't seem to be afraid of what you're afraid of sometimes. But you see, it's a very personal thing, isn't it? Sometimes fear just grips you, it gets a hold of you, and then it becomes the boss of you. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning together. Now, Max Takedo, now, now, let me just, before I get that, this is the thing. They say that the average child these days has the same levels of anxiety and fear as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. That's frightening, isn't it? 
And so fear, and I know there's lots of shades of it, there's fear, there's worry, there's anxiety, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. It actually can grip us and it can shape us. And we have a generation of children and young people who are affected by that as well. Now, I'm not talking predominantly this morning about anxiety and about mental health. I'm talking about the ordinary kind of fear that you and I have, whatever the age that we're at. And Max Licado, in his book, Fearless, he says it like this, fear never wrote a symphony or a poem, negotiated a peace treaty or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty, never saved a marriage or a business. Fear herds us into a prison and slams the door. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? And when we let fear become the boss of us, that's what happens. There's no good outcome when we let fear become the boss of us like this. But fear does have a positive side. There is an upside to the whole process of fear. You see, here's the thing. I want you to think about this phrase now. Fear is the byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project into the future. Sounds a bit deep, but basically this. We wouldn't have fear if we as human beings didn't have this ability to accumulate knowledge and to think and anticipate and plan and dream and imagine. And so because we have this ability, we say phrases like this, I can't wait. And so our kids say, I can't wait for Christmas. Some of you already are counting down days for Christmas. You need help and possibly therapy as well, okay? But some of us would say, I can't wait. There's only 300 more sleeps till Christmas or whatever it is. But the reality is we have that ability as human beings. But the downside of that is this. What if? Because we can anticipate, because we can plan, because we can imagine, because we can dream, we also have this what if. So what if I never get married? What if the marriage doesn't last? What if I don't have kids? What if I do have kids and something happens to the kid? What if I lose my job? What if this happens? What if they let me down? What if I get this disease? What if, what if? And it becomes like a rotisserie chicken, you know, going over and over and over in the oven. That's when we let fear become the boss of us, when what if happens. But here's the thought that I think the Bible wants to teach us. Fear may fill our world, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. Fear is one of those realities that we're all going to have. But it doesn't have to fill our hearts until it overwhelms us and it becomes the boss of us. Now, the Bible has loads to say about fear. 365 times, you know it in the Bible, it says things like, do not be afraid or don't fear. 125 times in the New Testament alone. And often Jesus says these words. He says, fear not, which is really helpful when you're afraid, isn't it? Not. Because when you're in the middle of fear... It's, it's one of the most annoying things that someone else says, oh, don't fear. Because when they don't fear, that's all right, because they don't fear the fear. They don't feel the fear, but you do. So again, several years ago, I was leading a skiing holiday um, with, with another guy, and he was the worship leader, and I was the speaker, and, and we were on one of these ski lifts. And again, I hate heights, I hate them. And we're on this ski lift, and it's fine, and we're going up over this, right on the top of this mountain, coming down really high above the floor, and the ski lift stopped, and it had broken and we were just swaying in the wind like that. And we were literally there for a couple of hours, okay? And um, as we were, at the moment, it was okay. But my friend had no fear. And he thought it'd be a great idea to see how much we could make the whole thing swing. And so I'm saying, will you stop it? I will kill you. And he was saying, oh, to fear not kind of thing. You know, don't fear, it's fine. And there were a group of girls, younger girls, and we were younger guys at the time. And they were stuck on the opposite one. And then they started screaming like young girls. And 
So I joined them and started screaming like a young girl as well. But basically, he didn't have any fear. So it was really a pain for him to say to me, don't fear. And that's what it feels to me like Jesus says many, many times. Many, many situations. And we're going to look at some of them today. He says in the middle of the fear, don't fear. As if that would do it. Now, we've got to understand what he's doing. You see, Jesus had like a whole massive crowd of people. And then within that was a smaller crowd that he called his disciples. And within that were a smaller crowd that he called his apostles. And one day he kind, of, he kind of said to these kind of guys, he gathered them all together and he said, he said, now here's the picture. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. To us, that's just a phrase. To them, it, it was an image. They know nothing good happens when you send the sheep out among wolves. All that happens at the end of that is there's a lot of mess, wool and hooves. It's messy. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And here's what I'm sending you out with. Don't be afraid. That's like that fella saying to me, hey, don't need to fear. No, I really do. And then what Jesus does is he takes them on a field trip to bring the teaching home. And here we go. Matthew chapter eight. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus, annoyingly, (laughs) was sleeping. Suddenly a furious storm. These are guys who know the river, know the lake really well. They know boats. Most of them were fishermen. The word storm in the original language is the, is the Greek word seismos. It's where we get seismic from. It's where we get the word for earthquake. It's like suddenly an earthquake of a storm happened and they were gripped with fear. Our friends out in Albania, as you know, had an earthquake on November the 26th last year. It was the biggest earthquake for loss of life in the world in 2019. Ever since that moment, they've had loads and loads of little quakes. Last week, they had another big quake, caused a lot of damage in their city. Every time they have a quake, they're reminded of the fear they had on that first night. And as I went out last year and spent time with them, listening to what it was like in that 50 seconds where they felt some of them, they were going to die. And many people did die in their city, horrendously. And that's something of the fear that these guys are feeling when they're on the boat. But then it says that the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, how do you think they woke him? Now, in the middle of a storm that's really loud, it's really noisy, they didn't go, Jesus, could you wake up? They went and they shook him and they yelled at him and they woke him up. And I think as they woke him, I don't think they say, Jesus, do you know anything about the meteorological systems in this part of the world? I don't think they said that. They woke up, they said, do something, do something. And interesting, in Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel was dictated to Mark by Peter. So these are Peter's words, really. Literally, this is what they said. Don't you care? You see, when you're in the middle of fear and I'm in the middle of fear, it corrodes our confidence in God, doesn't it? And so we say to God, God, don't you care that this is going on in my life? Don't you care that this is happening right now? That's what fear does. When fear is the boss of you, it corrodes your confidence in God. God, how can you sleep? How can you close your eyes when my eyes are wide and wide like this? How can you do that? Don't you care? He didn't speak, just said this. He replied, you have little faith. He didn't speak about the storm. He says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? It's really annoying. So what do you mean, why are you so afraid? Look at the storm we're in. Look, I'm shouting at you, Jesus. Like the wind in my hair and it's all everywhere. What do you mean, why am I so 
afraid. Then look what happens next. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. See, what God doesn't do is God doesn't panic. Don't you love that? You do, I do, we do, God doesn't. God didn't panic, God just got up and did his thing. And you see, what happens for us is that when fear becomes the boss of us, when we lose control, so what we do is we often reach for something that gives us the illusion of control. So when you and I are in fear and fear's the boss of us, we'll reach for the bottle, we'll reach for the pills, we'll reach for the, for the, for the fridge, we'll reach for the shopping, we'll reach for the internet, we'll reach for the porn, we'll reach for the uh, clothes, we'll reach for something that will help us feel that we're in control. But what Jesus did is he didn't panic. He just got up and he spoke and the storm stopped. And then this is what happens. This is amazing. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In Mark's version, uh, it, says, it says it this way around in Mark's version. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The original word, that word terrified in Greek, the way, that, the way it's written is they feared a greater fear. Isn't that amazing? So when, the, when Jesus got up and put the storm down, they were like, whoa, we were fearful of the storm, but now you, Jesus, you are the one who can overwhelm the thing that's overwhelming us. And they feared a greater fear. I think that's amazing. It's a little bit for a fleeting moment, their confidence in Jesus overwhelmed their fear. That's our prayer for you guys today. And maybe for a fleeting moment today, maybe a fleeting moment, that your confidence in Jesus would overwhelm your fear that seems to be the boss of you. Problem is, it doesn't last, does it? So we go on in Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says this, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And he says, you're frightened of the wrong things. Don't you remember the boat? There's more to you than meets the eye. And then he goes on and says this, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, sometimes he says, guys, you're afraid of the wrong things. You're afraid of the things on the surface and the body things and the things that can kill your body. And that's a big deal, but there's a bigger deal than that. There's more to you than meets the eye. And, and then he brings it into land, and this is beautiful. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, we, 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 understand the, we don't understand the context of this. When you, sparrows sold for a penny, in the temple system, Abigail mentioned that this morning, in the temple system, you, you, you had a penny and you bought two sparrows and you went and you sacrificed them. And that was all part of the getting right with God. Okay, that was their system. A little bit of Bible trivia, okay? In Luke's version, it says that five sparrows were sold for two pennies. And I read those two things years ago and I thought, that sounds a bit odd. One sparrow sold, one penny for two sparrows. Oh, I'm getting myself confused here. Five sparrows, two pennies. And then I did some research and what happens is that two sparrows are sold for a penny. So if you've got five, they threw one in for free. So Luke records it like this. Listen, even the free sparrow that's a freebie, when it drops to the ground, God knows it's dropped. That's how much he cares for you. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus is saying, listen, why are you afraid? Because even the hairs on your head are numbered. Even the free sparrow, the freebie that drops to the ground, I know it and I care about it. So why would I not care for you? 
and it's amazing. And, um, and, and they're finally getting it and you think, oh, they're getting it now. Because then the next thing that happens is that they go to this place where there's a massive crowd of people and it gets late and they haven't eaten anything and they say to Jesus, we need to feed these guys. Jesus, absolutely, you feed them. Gets a little... Uh, lunch from the kid, loaves and fishes, breaks them up into the hands, then go feed them. They feed them. It's a miracle. They're really feeling good. They're feeling confident. They feel like they could take on the world. Then Jesus does this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the, him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Immediately. So they're feeling really high. They had all this teaching about fear. Now they've seen just how powerful Jesus is, what he can do. They're feeling great. Jesus says, get in the boat. Jesus made, that word made in the original language means coerced. It means he like put their arm behind their back and he pushed them onto the boat. Why does he need to make them? These are disciples. These are fishermen. Why does he need to get them in a boat? Why does he need to coerce them? Because they've just been in the boat in the storm. Isn't it? And they're saying, whoa, last time we went on a boat with you, it was the whole storm thing when we had to wake you up because you were asleep. Now you want us to get in a boat again. And what's even worse than that is it goes on to say this. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the winds, because the waves, because the wind was against it. Flipping heck, they're saying, we're in a storm again. We're in a storm again. Why are we in a storm again? We're doing what you've asked us to do. We're going where you've asked us to go. We're getting into the boat that you asked us to get into. And here's the thing, guys. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's no guarantee that you won't have storms. But you know, peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is the presence of God. And you might be in a storm right now and you might be in something right now and it feels like it's overwhelming your boat, but you need to know there is one who overwhelms the fear that you've got. There's a Jesus, there's a God who can come into the middle of that storm and he might not, as he did, he might not get get the storm to go down, but what he will do is he will give you his presence. And what I think is amazing about this is when we go on and read what happened. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. So they've been in it all night long. And again, Jesus is not just doing magic tricks. Jesus is teaching them. Jesus is showing them some stuff. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. And then what did he say? Don't be afraid. Again. It's like, you're not getting it, are you? Don't be afraid. And it's so, so interesting. And many of you know that after this bit, then Peter walks on the water and that's amazing. Then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he falls and, and, and uh, Jesus lifts him up and puts him back in the boat. And they tell these stories. Now, little time out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, okay, maybe if you're watching or you're listening and you're not a Jesus follower and you're thinking, it's all bonkers. You know, we don't believe Jesus or Peter walked on the water because the Bible tells us that. We don't believe that. We believe that he walked on the water because Matthew tells us that. And Matthew was there. Because John tells us and John was there. Because Mark tells us and Peter dictated his story to Mark and Peter was there. They were eyewitnesses in the Bible. That's why we believe it. It's not just because the book says it. It's because there were eyewitnesses that said it. And here's the amazing thing. Literary and historical um, critics have this thing called this. They call it the criteria of embarrassment. In other words, 
When you're writing down a story about certain people in history and you want it to stand the test of time, okay? If there's embarrassing, you don't make up embarrassing things about people. You don't make up embarrassing things about the heroes. It makes them look stupid. So if there is embarrassing stuff in there, the chances are it's likely to be true. And when Peter said, hey, I'd love you to say, Mark, that you know, I walked on the water and it was all grey and, and whatever. And then I kind of, you know, I surfed back in and it was all cool, but actually I fell down and I got wet. And if they put that in, because that's actually what happened. The criteria of embarrassment. The fact that they're there is evidence that it's true. And Jesus is saying, guys, there is no need to fear because I am here. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. In that moment, they thought it was amazing. They feared a greater fear, but, but, but then they began to forget it. And, th- and then they get to that moment where they're just coming up to what we've talked about this morning, the crucifixion. And, and they'd already had this, that Jesus had given them these, these three big ideas, that he'd given them a new covenant, a new movement, and a new command. And they were all locked and loaded and ready to go. But then on that day when they, he was arrested and they all denied him or they hid or they fled and they ran away in fear. You see, what had happened in that moment of the crucifixion is like a great big X had been crossed through it all and it was all over. You see, what really was the pivotal moment for the disciples, it wasn't the bit in the storm. It wasn't the bit on the lake there. It wasn't, it wasn't the bit with the feeding of the 5,000. All that was important. What changed the game for the disciples when it came to fear was the morning they looked into an empty tomb. It was the moment when they met the risen Jesus. And they were, wow, if this guy who predicts and pulls off his own death and resurrection, if he is here and he's alive and he is risen, why do we need to fear? And their hope totally and their fear changed in that moment. You see, for, for you and I, the resurrection may be something we talk about at Easter. For these guys, the resurrection was a daily reality. And it changed, literally changed everything. And here it is. They feared not, fear not, changed the world. And what changed the world in those, for those early disciples, yes, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it was the way that the resurrection produced within them a sense that if Jesus can rise from the dead, why am I afraid of this? And actually, when I know His presence in my life, even though I've got something to be afraid of, I don't need to fear. I don't need to fear. Amazing. You know, they willingly changed the world. They willingly faced down their fear. All the disciples, the apostles apart from John, all died for the reality of of the person that they said that they'd see, including including the brother of Jesus. As we said last week, if if your brother can convince you that he's the saviour of the world, there's got to be something in that. And here's the amazing thing. In the second century, uh, a guy called Gallinus, uh, Claudius Gallinus, was a Roman doctor. And um, the thing is about Roman doctors, is in the Roman world, it was illegal uh, for you to do autopsies. It was illegal for you to look at dead bodies. Once the body had died, it was done, which is why medical science took so long to kind of get that curve of, of development. But what happened in the second century was uh, guys like Claudius Gallinus, doctors, would stay on the side of the arena and they'd wait till someone was about to die. And then when they're about to die, they'd, they'd rush in and they'd have a little look at the body. Just, it's horrible. Just as they're about to die to try and gain knowledge. And many of those people that died in the arena were Christians. And this is what he said, not a follower of Jesus, okay? This is what he said, for fearlessness of death and hereafter is something we witness in them, that's Christians, every day. 
Isn't that amazing? Here's someone who's not a follower of Jesus saying, when we looked at these guys and girls, they didn't have any fear. Why? Because they met the resurrected Jesus. So fear not, Jesus said, because I'm bigger than your fear. Fear not, Jesus said, because I will be with you in the middle of your storm. Fear not, said Jesus, because I have overcome the biggest thing you need to be afraid of, which is death itself. So what do we do? What do we do? Is fear the boss of you? What can you do? Let me give you two practical things before we finish. Number one, don't feed it. You see, see what we do? Fear will always knock on your door. You do not have to let it in for dinner. What happens when we get fear is that we feed it. But here's the, if you feed your fear, then that's just gonna grow. If you feed your faith, your fears will starve. That's why, guys, can I just say to you lovingly this morning, this, what we're doing this morning, is so important to our faith. Because for me, I've sung the song, I've got stuff going on in my life as well right now. I've sung the songs this morning in ways I haven't sung in the last few weeks. Because I've needed to, because I need to feed my faith and not my fears. And gathering is so important. That's why Tuesday night is so important. When we gather together, we're gonna worship, we're gonna pray, we're gonna listen to God. Just for that little moment in time, what we're gonna do is we're gonna feed our faith. Because if we don't, then we'll feed our fears and our fears will grow. So I want to encourage you to feed it. For me, connection is so important. Me and Alison are in a great connect group with a bunch of great people. And, and we love being in those spaces because when we're there, we're not the pastor and the pastor's wife or the elder. We're just Leon and Alison. And we can be honest and we can be real. And in that moment, we can feed our faith and we can encourage each other in that process. It's so, so important. And maybe you're not in a connect group. That would be a great next step for you to think about this morning as well. Gathering is key. Truth is key in the morning. You know, I try and make it my discipline to read something of the Bible every morning, even if it's just a verse, because I'm feeding myself. There's going to be things in the day that are going to cause fear, but I need to feed myself and be ready for that. And if you've never done that, then I want to encourage you to go uh, to something called version, which is, how many of you are on version? Okay, a few people. It's really brilliant. version is amazing. Uh, and there's loads of plans in there. You can just click onto one on your phone or on your iPad, on, on your laptop, and you can get a few verses in the day, some thoughts, and it will feed you. It will feed you at the start of the day. Feed it. So important. But not only feed it, but there comes a point where number two, you have to flip it. And for me, that's like, okay, here's my fear that I'm holding. I don't want to hold on to this. I want to flip it. I want to put it into the hands of the one who asks me to do that. And Peter this guy who he had fear and he ran away. But when he met the resurrected Jesus, that fear turned like 180 degrees. He went on to lose his life in Nero's Rome. He wrote in 1 Peter 5, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In other words, flip it. Take that fear and say, I'm gonna flip it over and I'm gonna give it to God. It says in the Passion Translation of that verse, pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there for he always tenderly cares for you. Guys, fear may fill our world, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. I wanna invite the band to come back up. As we come into land, I know that there will be those of you here in the room, those of you listening, even those of you watching on live stream today, and you're, you're sat here or there and, and you're full of fear right now and fear's become the boss of you. And fear makes a terrible boss because it goes over and over and over. What if, what if, what if? 
But I want to encourage you today. Don't get distracted by these guys coming up and down, okay? Here, we're coming into land. I want to encourage you. When you let that go on and on and on, eventually something falls over. And often what falls over is your faith and your confidence and your peace. And I don't think Jesus wants those, that to be the boss of you. I think he wants to be the boss of you if you'll let him. So what we're going to do is I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And in a moment, the band are going to sing just a little bit of a song. And it's just the bridge bit of the song. And it simply says, I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest in the Father's hands. It's like a, I'm going to flip this now. I'm not, I'm not going to hold on to this fear. I'm going to rest in your hands. I'm going to leave all that. I'm going to leave all the what ifs. I'm going to leave all that in the Father's hands. That's where I'm going to place it. I'm going to cast all my care, all my anxiety, all my fear onto Him. For He cares for me. Even the free sparrow, He knows when it falls. Of course, He knows what's going on in my world right now. And I'm believing and we're believing and praying that as many of us do that today, that the presence of Jesus for a moment is going to overwhelm that fear. And what threatens to overwhelm you will be overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. So if that's you this morning, as the guys begin to sing, I want you just to stand right where you are. And as you stand, and we want to pray for you this morning. So if that's you and you know that fear has become the boss of you in an area of your life, but you don't want it to be the boss of you anymore, then I want to invite you to stand as the guys begin to sing. Jesus, we pray now for a real sense of your peace, God, and your presence to fill this place. Jesus, you're here. Jesus, you're at work. We love you. We trust you. We rest in you. God, I pray for every single person standing. May they know that your presence can overwhelm that fear. You are bigger. You are bigger than whatever that fear is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I ask all of you to stand, guys, with me as we draw to a close? We're going to sing this song fully in a moment. And while we sing this song, I want to encourage you guys to think about your next step. You've got that next step card on your seat. Think about your next step. You know, the last few weeks, people have ticked that to get baptised, to find out more about faith, to join a connect group, to get involved. They've taken the next step. And maybe you've been with us for a long time and you've never really taken that next step. We'd encourage you to do that. And so in a moment, we're going to take up our offering as we finish. We're going to sing this song. And as the offering comes around, if you want to fill in that connect card and on anything at all, then just fill that in and just pop it in the bucket along with the offering and uh, someone will connect with you uh, in the next week or so. So guys, let's sing this song. This song says, you're bigger than I thought you were. And, and it talks about the fact that actually He knows us and He cares for us. And so we can flip those fears and we can put them into His hands because He's bigger than we ever thought He was. I want to encourage you just to worship Him as we sing this song as we finish our time together.